Hello and welcome to ICI Digs Deep, sponsored by Advanced Drainage Systems, Inc. Today, Richard Hedgecock and Jim Wood chat about the latest COVID-19 safety guidance, including PPE and vaccines. Hello and welcome to the latest ICI Digs Deep podcast. We have another safety broadcast today. We're being joined by Jim Wood. Hi, Jim. Say hi to everybody. Hey, Richard. Hello, everybody. Jim just had a very successful uh, safety forum that was focused on everyone's favorite topic, COVID and the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I'll let Jim kind of take it from here and he can tell us a little bit about the folks who were there and we'll drill down into some of the things they talked about. Jim? Yeah, we had, I think it was a very successful from a lot of the feedback that I got from members. We had a very successful safety forum and it was focused on COVID. We did a panel discussion. So instead of just one guest speaker, we had uh, five or six, I believe it was. So we had a representation from Indiana OSHA, insurance, uh, legal representation. We had a safety director outside of ICI who talked about best practices. And then we also had a couple of folks, including our own George Shira, that gave some perspectives from the union component and uh, labor agreements and those kind of things and how it might, that might come into play. So. With all of those, they each kind of took a few minutes, kind of covered some of the topical information, and we opened it up for questions, and it was quite successful, I do have to say. So let's talk about some of the things then that they talked about, um, particularly as it deals with the legal and regulatory world, what Mm -hmm. employers need to be wary of or should be doing or aren't with regarding OSHA compliance. Yeah, those two are probably the biggest areas where we had questions. There a lot of good discussion and questions. So we'll kind of start off with compliance, OSHA compliance. So what was addressed is there's not currently any kind of specific standard that applies to COVID-19. However, should there be an issue, and we want to say if there's the potential for an employer to be cited, it would be under what's called OSHA's general duty clause, which basically says each employer has to shall furnish the employee and place of employment that's free of recognized hazards and basically safe and healthful workplace. So if there is an issue, they could be cited underneath that. And then so people were asking, so, okay, so since there's not a specific standard that tells us what we should do, what should we be doing? So it was emphasized for those that haven't yet, it would be um, strongly advised that they create a prevention and response plan. And in some cases for construction sites, a site-specific plan, put that in place, communicate to all their employees, their subcontractors, trade partners, and vendors. So no surprise, it's like everything we talk about, it seems like in the safety arena, have a plan. Right. Have that plan published and most importantly, communicate it with your folks. Exactly. So from that, then questions started coming up because then, you know, you have reporting and recording requirements, OSHA 300, you know, when somebody gets sick or hurt for COVID cases, that wouldn't be any different. Employers still have to record and report all work-related illnesses and injuries that meet the uh, reporting criteria under OSHA's record-keeping standard. And then they kind of delved into just like within the standard. So any case that the employer has that um, requires hospitalization or unfortunately a fatality still has to be reported in the timely manner that's stated to OSHA. And then under the record-keeping requirements, COVID-19 is a recordable illness. Employer is responsible for recording a case of COVID-19. There's three elements to that. The case has to be a confirmed case of COVID-19. The case has to be work-related. 
And it has to involve one or more of the general recording criteria, which is called 1904.7. So that's got to be the hard thing, right? Is to prove that it's work-related as opposed to them picking it up somewhere anywhere. Yes. I mean, if we were in health, which we're not, if we were in healthcare, that would be you know less challenging. But in other areas, it may be more challenging to you know relate it to be a work-related uh, COVID case. Yeah, gosh, I would think that would be very difficult to prove. Mm-hmm. But reporting, recording, basically the same as every other illness or injury. Exactly. You're exactly right on that. So then okay. from there, then PPE comes into play. And so questions were coming up about company supplied or employee purchased PPE. And so what's considered PPE and what is not. So they, OSHA comes out and says that cloth face coverings and surgical type of masks are not considered PPE and that employers are not required to provide or pay for those forms of face coverings. I mean, the normal PPE that's stated within the OSHA standards that falls under what's considered OSHA PPE would be things like hard hats, gloves, goggles, safety shoes, safety glasses, face shields, chemical protective equipment. So the variety of cloth masks that my wife has bought for me that match each of my neckties, they would not be considered as appropriate PPE. It would not be considered. um, So the PPE standard within OSHA, it says when PPE is required, then the employer must pay for it. Got it. So then if the employee decides they want to wear an N95, something that is considered to be, I'm air quoting the word official, how does that play out? An N95 is considered a respirator. And so then people were asking, well, under the respiratory standard, you have to do fit testing and a medical evaluation. So they're saying, hey, if we're providing voluntary use of the N95, do we have to fit test everybody and give a medical evaluation? So employees who voluntarily wear N95 respirators are not required to be medically evaluated or fit tested. Now, there's a part within the standards called Appendix D that has some verbiage to it, and you just kind of have to make sure the employee is aware of this and give them that information. So voluntary use of the N95 is not required to have the fit test and medical evaluation. Gotcha. And then I'm a dummy. What's the difference between an N95 and an N99? The designation is so that 95 and 99, those numbers, and then there's also to kind of pull into, if you've ever heard the term a P100. Those are all filtering capabilities. So as the number gets higher, the filtering capability gets better, I presume? Well, N95 means that it's 95% efficient at filtering out particulate. And this is the important part, you know, let's say just in general virus protection is that it's 95% effective in filtering out particles to .01 microns which is the size of the coronavirus. So the N95 is 95% efficient. The N95 is 99% efficient. And then you see the pink or the magenta discs that might be wearing on a half mask. Those are referred to as P100s, and those are 100% efficient. So that's the efficiency filtering levels. And then the N95 is just the most widely used Oh, and then the other question that came up on the topic of the N95s, and you mentioned the N99s, is that some of them have the little exhalation vent on the front of it. So that allows a person to, um, I would say, maybe reduce respiratory stress, as well as that for me, it reduces fogging on my glasses. 
But the question is yeah. like, hey, um, are there any stipulations of can I or can't I, you know, are there environments where I can and can't use this? So you just have to keep in mind is that part of the concept of wearing the face coverings is we want to protect the other individuals that were around. And the vented type of masks is going to allow for free flow. When we're breathing out, uh, we may expose others with the, the vented type. And that would be more obviously in the medical and a sterile environment, or we're in a medical environment, that would be a, a large concern. But again, with our membership, our contractors are fortunate that a lot of them are able to work at the social distancing of that six feet the majority of the time. So the exhalation valve style wouldn't be directly a yeah. large concern. That makes sense. Advanced Drainage Systems is focused on drainage products and services that deliver solutions for the most persistent and challenging water management problems. To learn more, give them a call at 317-417-0385. Okay, so that covered the PPE. You all also talked about the vaccine. Yeah. A lot of questions on that regarding the vaccine, a lot of information out there from the EEOC, but the person, our legal representative, as well as our insurance representative spoke very well and very thoroughly on that. And to kind of summarize what they had said is that while the EEOC says that the employers can mandate that workers receive the COVID-19 vaccine, they're saying it may not be the best approach, that it's advised that employers encourage getting the vaccine over mandating getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Their directive, if you will, I guess, is that with mandating a vaccine, the employers have to steer the inherent legal risks and logistics that would come along with employees receiving the vaccine. I mean, you've got elements that I'm not well versed in, but yeah, so ADA, um, we have, because there's a medical evaluation or a questionnaire. So you have privacy components to that. So there's a lot of elements to that that the employer has to be to be mindful of to le- potential legal issues. And I know there's discussion at the legislature right now about that very topic and whether employers are even allowed to require that. I just think it'd be a very dangerous position for somebody to start trying to require your people to get that vaccine if something they were to have some sort of side effect or adverse reaction or I don't I don't know that just seems sort of dicey to me. The employer has to consider that whether they are going to decide to mandate the COVID vaccine or not is that should the employee encounter an adverse reaction from the vaccine, it's likely to be considered a compensable injury under workers' compensation. Yeah, there you go. Obviously, we're not legal experts here, but I think that even if someone would feel that they were, you know, forced or mandated to get it, even though that it's not in writing, I think that you're potential to open a legal can of worms. Well, absolutely. We should encourage people to get the vaccine. Definitely. I mean, it's, yes. But don't ever, but, but probably not advisable to mandate it within your workforce. Exactly. I would agree. Well, that was that. all good stuff, Jim. That seems like that was a good forum. It was. It was. It was really good. Very informative. So let's talk a little bit in closing about all of your safety training efforts. We've really ramped that up this year, and it's been a really big success. I'm excited about the outreach that we've had. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say our members have really uh, kicked off 2021 very well. I mean, over the last several weeks, uh, you know, up until the end of March, beginning April, I mean, I'm booked solid. 
I've been working with a number of our members doing OSHA 10 and OSHA 30 courses. Our members have really utilized the ICI safety training when kicking off 2021. You and I were talking about this earlier is that, you know, when I see the investment that our members are making to provide safety training to the employees and the coordination to provide the training safely, I mean, arranging outside facilities so that we have proper social distancing. I mean, I think that's a true testament to their commitment to safety and the safety culture within their companies. And I, and I know that most of these courses you've been doing have been sole source, that is one particular company and filling up the slots, but you do have an open registration OSHA 30. Yes, March 2nd. We have still, we have open seats for the OSHA 30 course on March 2nd, March 3rd, and then uh, March 10th and 11th. So it's a four-day course. We split it up into two days over two weeks for some scheduled flexibility for people. So there's still a few seats available and then I anticipate one or two more open courses in, in April as well. That's awesome. All right, well, thanks, Jim. Thank you. Keep doing the good work. Thank you again to our guests, Jim Wood and Richard Hedgecock, as well as our sponsor, Advanced Drainage Systems, Inc. To get in touch with ADS, give them a call at 317-417-0385. Join us every Friday during your morning commute to hear safety talks, member spotlights, and inside information about the infrastructure and transportation construction industry. This has been ICI Digs Deep. Let's break ground together. Together.